Happy holidays, pet lovers, and welcome to Veterinary Advice, Animal News and Views, a place for pets and the people who love them. Sponsored by webdvm.net, typed into your browser as web-dvm.net, the online health and information website for dog and cat lovers. Welcome to the program and welcome to Final Thoughts 2015. If you look back on my episodes... Since the, uh, let's see, this, I want to say this podcast started in 09 and beginning around then, I believe my first final thoughts was 2010, and it's kind of a little tradition I've had going ever since then. I want to say again, 2010 was my first one, and it's just kind of a reflection on the year and some of the things that were prevalent in the industry, some trends that I may have noticed, and... Um, Just kind of a little wrap-up to say goodbye to the year from the perspective of my industry, of course, and that would be the veterinary industry. So welcome to the show. We have a few things to talk about with regard to 2015. First off, again, I'd like to wish everyone very happy holidays. I hope that both your families, including your furry ones, and uh, speaking of your furry ones, stayed out of trouble recently did a, or a guest blogger of the WebDVM, Dr. Karen Lewis, did a really great Holiday Danger article, uh, basically outlining the unique dangers that holidays pose pets, things that have them end up in our ERs time and again, and it was a really good article, and I certainly hope, I wish all of you, my listeners, that uh, you were able to avoid those dangers. And your pets were able to avoid those dangers, and you did not spend any minute of your holiday in the animal ER. So let's talk about final thoughts. I think the first thing I would like to bring up is that the the listenership of this podcast, the readership of my veterinary blog, webdvm-net, has just exploded this year. It's been gradually increasing through the years. But this year especially, it's just seemed to really take off. And, and I just want to thank everybody for taking the time to listen to my podcast, to read my blog posts, to visit the site. Um, it, it's just just remarkable. And, and I feel so blessed because I started all of my media work back in 07. Reason being is that I have this passion for my work, but I also have a passion for media and communicating through various media, such as podcasting, such as I used to when I had more time a few years ago, was doing a, a webcast through my YouTube channel. And of course, I have I do a lot of writing. I love to write. And I did it for the enjoyment. I needed an outlet for the passion and some of the ideas that I have and just the fact that so many people have jumped on board and embraced my passion and contributed with your listenership, taking the time, but also commenting frequently, emailing me and commenting on the blog and getting robust discussions going. It's just incredible. So thank you so much because without all of you, this really doesn't exist beyond, you know, some little hobby I have. And it's actually really just kind of taken on an entity of its own. And I have all of you to thank for that. So let's talk about the first big topic of the year. And and 
we've discussed this quite a bit on the podcast, but also I blogged about it on the blog post for these two exclusive but sort of on the, along the same line topics. <clears throat> there was a lot of debate, <clears throat> some of it a little bit heated. Some people had some very unkind things to say about me, but that's okay. I, I like to... I like people to engage in discussion as long as it remains tasteful without, you know, being laced with profanity or attacking too personally. I I think it's good for everybody to sort of air their opinions about things based on their own experience or based on things that they might have read. And that's how we all kind of learn, again, as long as things stay tasteful. So let's talk about two big controversies this year, Trifexis and convenia so trifexis is a heartworm preventive slash flea preventive it also has some significant activity against uh, the most common intestinal parasites it's a very nice preventive it was out for a couple of years when suddenly it was it became sort of labeled as this horrifically dangerous preventive not by veterinarians mind you but by a person who lost their dog and blamed it on trifexis now the company Elenco that makes Trifexis uh, did a post. They paid for, not did they paid for a third party post mortem analysis by a pathologist. The reality of that case was we were dealing with like a twelve or thirteen year old dog, so see, geriatric age dog. The dog was in uh, under treatment for congestive heart failure and also had Cushing's disease. So either one of those two can be life limiting and causes of death of course and um, this dog was on trifexis for two plus years and died within like three days of getting a dose of trifexis mind you it had these other health concerns well the post-mortem analysis again third party paid for by the company determined that the cause of death was actually congestive heart failure and there is absolutely no link of trifexis and congestive heart failure all really trifexis is is a combination of a flea preventive called Comfortis, which had been out for three years prior to the launch of Trifexis, and Milbamycin Oxime, which was a great heartworm preventive sold uh, for many, many years under the brand Interceptor and Sentinel. And so we've never heard these horrible death correlations between Comfortis, Sentinel, and Interceptor. So when the two combined in a chewable it doesn't make any didn't really make any sense that suddenly there was this horrific byproduct of death you know but nonetheless the person who received this information was pretty emotionally distraught i guess and actually started a, a facebook page called trifexis kills dogs she did not believe the postmortem analysis and all the scientific analysis and um, kind of ran with it. And then this um, reporter, mind you, I will say a very unscrupulous reporter by the name of Jim Strickland out of Atlanta caught wind of the story and he ran with it and, of course, found other people to jump on the bandwagon that, oh, yeah, you know, my dog was on Trifexis and died too. And, you know, um, you can see where that went. And next thing you know, there's 700 people that like the page and this big brouhaha starts it's all over social media it's all over the internet and i'm having to answer a lot of questions about trifexis uh, which isn't the number one seller of my practice by the way but you know lo and behold i i was i still found myself having to have this conversation time and again with people you know assuring them that listen this there's there's really nothing to this there's been multiple po- post-mortem analyses done 
for these pets with these accusations that it was death by trifexis. Really, there's no scientific evidence that has shown that the cause of death was this preventive. It's the FDA data of it shows that its safety is in line with all the other preventives out there. And but you know, make whatever conclusions you want. My own dog is on trifexis because here in Florida, fleas are a big problem. Heartworm is a big problem, and how lovely to have a preventive that kills both very effectively. So the good news is that with regard to trifexis, good sense has taken over. For the most part, I'm having the conversation very infrequently and people have begun to listen to their veterinarians to really look at the real research out there, the stuff that Elanco has put out with regard to their FDA trial data and their um, retrospective three-year data that they put out that they can't fake, by the way, that stuff that they have to submit to the FDA um, it, it's peer reviewed, all that good stuff. And really people are understanding that it's not the dangerous, horrible thing that it is. And let's take a, the, the other topic here was convenia. Convenia is a long acting injection. It's been sort of God's gift to little pets that are tough to orally medicate. Convenia, it's an injection that lasts for 14 days. So Two reasons it's loved by both clients and veterinarians. On the client side, um, it can be very challenging to medicate cats and little dogs. Uh, some of them can be very resistant to medicating. Look at uh, finicky cats, for example. I mean, sometimes you try to orally medicate some of these cats, and they're literally drooling and spitting, and you know you're barely able to get the stuff down them. Uh, some cats will only eat dry food, so you try to get a medication. Uh, expensively compounded into a palatable suspension that you know they may you maybe could put in the food or something like that but there's no guarantee that they're going to eat all the food and then some cats will only eat dry food so you can't put some liquid in there because they suddenly don't like it and other cats will eat canned food but only one particular canned food and as soon as they smell something else in there they are absolutely not interested in going there so it's just so simple and so nice to be able to give one injection for an infection case and and be able to clear it from the veterinarian perspective we get what is unheard of which is 100% compliance so compliance means following through the pet owner following through with our treatment recommendations so let's look at your average course of antibiotics you're usually looking at somewhere between 10 to 14 days so we rarely get 100% compliance because one of two things happen lots of times. Number one, again, we discussed owner challenges to orally medicating the pets. So sometimes the pets are spitting them out. The owner thinks that the medication has gotten into the pet, but realistically, they think they got it in there. And then later on, they, they're vacuuming and they see a pill sitting there. Um, others are guilty of many of you, I'm sure even listening to this podcast of, well, the urinary tract infection seems much better. Let me, and, and it's only after a week, let me put away the rest of this medication. That way, if my dog gets a urinary tract infection again, we won't have to pay for a veterinary visit. Right? People do that with their human medications and they sure as heck do it with their veterinary medications. And because they do that, they actually 
greatly increase the probability and likelihood of a relapse. And secondly, if and when a relapse does happen, there is a strong potential that that antibiotic is going to be useless because of resistance that's occurred because they did not complete the antibiotic course. So now we're trying to, we're having to find a new and likely more expensive antibiotic to use, maybe even one that is less tolerable. So with Convenia, what we have is 100% compliance. We bypass the GI system, so dogs and cats that can be sensitive to antibiotics that might get some GI upset, whether it's gas or vomiting or diarrhea. That very often doesn't happen with Convenia. Um, but it got out there, and albeit this is this is a little bit troubling, it started with a veterinarian who specializes in cats. It's all she does, and she has a website called catinfo.org. And she just started this big, really nonsensical, again, quote-unquote, controversy about Convenia that she strongly disagrees with its use in cats, specifically it was about cats, that uh, the fact that it's long-acting, if there were an adverse reaction to it, it stays in the system for 14 days. She strongly advises against it, that she's seen numerous cases of dog or cats not doing well on it, and even some dangerous consequences when she's saying this, but it kind of flies in the face of the experience of the vast majority of us out there that actually have had virtually no problems with the antibiotic. The truth is, in reality, the safety of Convenia has been absolutely incredible, even in, com- in contrast to other well-established antibiotics that we use in cats like Batrol, Orbifloxacin, Amoxicillin. I mean, I see more reactions to Amoxicillin probably than any other antibiotic. And and lo and behold, you know, Convenia, I've only had one case of a cat, one case that got a little bit lethargic for two days. Didn't go off food, just was lethargic, um, ate a little bit less for a day or two, and that's the only one in hindsight that I that's ever been reported to me where there was any sort of adverse effect. So this whole notion that this woman has come up with, this, this uh, veterinarian, I don't know where it's coming from because every veterinarian I talk to has the same experience that I've had with Convenia, which is it's really convenient because it's 100% compliance for the veterinarian. It takes out of the equation having to orally medicate, difficult to medicate cats and little dogs that are notoriously difficult to medicate. And it's a very effective antibiotic. It's great for uh, respiratory uh, infections. It's great for first and even second line um, urinary tract infections. And it's absolutely phenomenal for skin infections. So, you know, it's a very versatile antibiotic. Now, another knock on it that people are very very unrealistically complaining about it is that veterinarians are using it off-label. They're using it off-label. It's only labeled for skin infections. It's only labeled for skin infections. Well, that doesn't really matter. Um, it Yes, the FDA labeling is for skin infections, but a lot, most bugs, most bacteria that infect the skin are of the gram-positive variety. And when we're saying gram-positive or gram-negative, we're just referring to a bacteria's ability to either pick up a special staining called a gram stain or not pick up the gram stain. And it's just a classification that we use. And uh, Convenia has a very strong 
activity against gram-positive bacteria. So, But gram-positive bacteria don't just occur in the skin, and that's why we do use it very commonly off-label. There's a lot of antibiotics that don't necessarily have an FDA label for a certain an infection in a certain organ that we use all the time. We're running into a challenge in not just veterinary medicine, but human medicine, where we are often hard-pressed to find an effective antibiotic against certain infections because of resistance, bacterial resistance, resistance because of unethical and unscrupulous or overuse of antibiotics, uh, resistance because uh, <clears throat> owners don't finish their course of antibiotics, either voluntarily or because they just don't have the ability to finish because the pet is so uncooperative to be treated. So off-label antibiotic use happens across the board, and that really is meaningless to veterinarians. We sit there and laugh when people are like, well, they're using it off-label. We're like, yeah, so? <laughs> so anyway, the good news about that, again, like Trifexis, that has also run out of steam. And of course, you're going to have your diehards, your, your, your lovers of conspiracy that are devoted to the notion that veterinarians are complicit in a big cover-up of the mortal dangers of these medications to your pets in order to protect Big Pharma, who sends us on regular vacations to Tahiti and subsidizes our private yachts. I'm saying that very sarcastically. And also to protect our own private uh, profits. So, you know, a good sense and openness to real scientific evidence, thankfully, is winning the misinformation battle. And, you know, that's just a credit to people really just paying attention to reason, good, good, uh, real scientific evidence and, and, and not so much remaining so hooked on, uh, things that are born out of sensationalism, emotion and innuendo, you know, and, and that's really how all this got started. And I do feel for anybody who's lost their pet, uh, and, and, and feel that it may be tied to something, but, um, you know, you just, there's just no evidence that, Trifex is any more dangerous than, say, HeartGuard, which is very popular. Uh, no one said boo about that, but the safety data is very comparable. Um, and, and certainly, uh, outside of this one veterinarian who started this hysteria about Convenia, there's no Facebook page that said Convenia kills cats. So you're not even hearing anecdotal reports from people. Uh, from cat owners that it's so dangerous to cats. You know, it, this all just came from this one veterinarian. It's a very, it's a fairly popular site, catinfo.org, and she's got really interesting opinions about a lot of things that are just, I'm just flabbergasted by. So, you know, I'm not entirely surprised that this came from this particular veterinarian. So that's very good news. And and so let's, this kind of segues nicely into the next trend that we're seeing in veterinary medicine. And that is the veterinary pharmacy is dying. So let's go back to Trifexis and Convenia for a moment. <clears throat> you know, the, the notion that veterinarians are defending Trifexis and Convenia because we want to protect our profits, it's, it's kind of ridiculous when you look at the reality of it. I know it's easy to come to that conclusion because you pay a fee for these things. So it would seem that because you're buying it, sometimes from veterinarians, that we're going to want to protect that profit stream. But the reality of Trifexis, especially because it's a preventive, so let's just focus on the preventives, uh, the margin on these medications is horrible. <laughs> so, you know, you're really, at best, at best, looking at 
a 50% retail markup, which on medications is awful because if you think about it, you're paying $100 to make 50 bucks, or let's say you're paying a, a, a dollar to make 50 cents, you know, when you, when you break it down to in even smaller units. So to pay a dollar to make 50 cents, think about that for a moment. It's not very good. It's, it's a pretty poor margin because you got to stock this stuff. There's stocking fees. There's always loss to theft or misallocation. So realistically, when you look at the 50% markup, you're really looking at realistically more like 30%, 25% because, again, stocking fees, there is dispensing fees, and, and not, these aren't things that are passed on to the consumer. These are the things that cost us money. To dispense that box of trifectus, it needs a label. It needs to be counted out. It needs to be allocated. It needs to be accounted for in inventory, and it needs to get a proper instruction label affixed to it. And that all takes technician time. Technicians, obviously, we pay by the hour. So when you take all the cost out of it, realistically, I could not care less if I sell a box of Trifexis. You know, it's it's just, I am so perfectly happy to write a prescription for it because the the profit margin is on, on it is so lousy that, you know, for me, I'd rather focus on my services and let that be the income stream for the hospital versus, you know, trying to compete with these giant uh, pet medication retailers that really have just kind of taken over the industry. And so... Let's go back to pr protecting Big Pharma for a moment. That makes no sense because I don't like Big Pharma. Yes, they make important drugs that I use to treat my patients, that I need to treat my patients, but do I like them? Heck no. Do I want to protect them? Heck no. They're they're like we exist with this love-hate relationship of Big Pharma because here's what they do. They send their pharmaceutical rep in to convince us that we need to carry this because we need to sell this and we need to sell that because it's the next best thing for treating ABC disease or preventing ABC disease, right? So they do that. They try to convince us to buy it, but then they turn around to 1-800-PETMEDS or some other huge online retailer, and they'll sell it to them to stock it at a fraction of the cost that they sell it to us to stock it. So then they convince us to carry it, but then here we are buying the stuff, putting it in our pharmacy, but then we're writing a prescription to our own clients to go buy it from somebody else. Either way, Big Pharma wins because... They're either selling it through the huge retailers online or they're selling it through us, which is happening a minority of the time these days. I write scripts all day long. And again, I'm fine with it. The, the veterinary pharmacy is dying. It's a reality of our profession. And, and so be it. You know, we, we live in a culture where people love looking for online deals and for pet medication, it is no different. And so between that demand and between the... I think there's like a new retail, new huge pet medication retailer, uh, you know, opening every day. So you got abundant options out there. I can't even keep track. I don't even know how they compete with one another. So many of them. So, you know, it, it's something that it's a battle. We just can't win. So we've given up. And well, anyway, the, the smart ones have given up because to, to try to fight this battle is just stupid to try to price it down and compete with, you know, 100 pet meds, or even Walmart is doing online stuff with pet medication. You just can't compete with it. It's just, it, it's, it makes no sense to try to. So, you know, we've just given up. But here's the problem. There was a time when, very early in my career, this was a very profitable income stream for veterinarians. I mean, it was a way to definitely 
um, bring in profit to the veterinary hospital. And the good news about that for the pet owner was that, yeah, they paid a little bit more for the, the, the preventives, but for many years, fees went up very modestly over time, even lagging well behind in you know, regular inflation. Well, the veterinary pharmacy is now dying, so guess what? Without that profit stream, fees can no longer be held down. There's, there, there, we, there's, we don't have that buffer anymore. I haven't had it for a long time. So as a practice owner, this has been a reality for me pretty much almost from the outset. For like the old timers that have been around for a long time that lived in sort of what we call the golden age of veterinary medicine where they had this preventive stream. It was before the age of uh, the online pet retailers about like, we want to say like early 90s through about 2002, 2003. You know, they for them, it's really hard to adjust. I mean, for me, I've, I've been a, a practice owner since 04. So, you know, that was a major reality already at that point. So, you know, it, it's just a reality of, of, of my existence as a, a practice owner. But, but um, without that buffer of the preventive stream of income, services are increasing. And it's just, let me explain why. It's not because we feel the need to gouge anybody. Here's the reality of, of running a veterinary clinic. About 80 cents of every dollar that comes in as revenue goes out the door. The overhead on veterinary clinics is so high when you look at the various things that are part of the cost of doing business. And for all of you out there that are, you know, budding veterinarians or aspiring veterinarians, remember this well. State and local taxes go up every year. Insurance goes up every year. Equipment, the cost of equipment purchases goes up every year. The equipments now are, the equipment now is most of it, or many of our equipment, uh, or many of the medical equipment uh, items that we use in the practice are very high tech. So you have to have these service contract agreements where you can get tech support on them. You know, we have digital x-ray, we have digital dental radiography, we have a therapy laser, we have blah, 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 blah. Name it. There is a service contract attached to it. Well, the fee- the fees for those go up every year. Wage increases go up every year. And so the cost of doing uh, laboratory fees, that's another big one. Our uh, reference labs go up every year. And so the, the cost of doing business increases four to 6% every year. So that 80 cents of every dollar that's brought in goes up four to six percent every year. So what do we have to do if 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 we're keeping it at eighty cents at every you know to every dollar and, and by the way that eighty cents to every dollar that's under only the most efficiently run clinics that are run correctly with the proper ratios and all that. Most clinics are actually not run that efficiently. So you're looking at sometimes 85, 90 cents to every dollar. I had one friend who was only seven percent profitable. So he had um realistically 93 cents of every dollar 93 cents of every dollar that came into his practice went out the door in expenses so if if, if those expenses go up four to six percent every year and you don't have the veterinary pharmacy to buffer that where's it what are you going to do you either go out of business or you have to raise fees and so in the end yes pet owners that love to shop online you won you won you and the pet retailers got what you wanted but unfortunately when your pet is sick when you need medical services, it's going to cost a lot more. So, you know, for veterinarians, when we when we see the big picture, you know, our perspective is that it would be much better to have it the other way around. It would be better to pay a few more dollars for the routine preventive medications that you would buy from the veterinary pharmacy, but pay significantly less for life-sustaining health services like diagnostics, hospitalization, surgery, dentistry, what have you. 
Um, but no, it's the other way around. So now you're getting your cheap your your cheap medications. You're saving five or ten bucks, and that's wonderful. But you know your your pet needs a knee surgery. Well, that's going to go up four to six percent every year. Whereas in the past that didn't happen, and it's not uh, anything punitive from the perspective of the small businessman, the veterinarian. It's just the reality of this is what has to be done, and so that segues into my last topic um, and my reflections of 2015, and that is that we have what I've called in the past a veterinary critical mass approaching, I believe. I know I'm not an economic expert. I don't know when this will occur, but I do believe at some point it is imminent. Um, and if and when it does occur, I, I have serious dire concerns for both veterinarians and pet owners alike. And here's the critical mass. If fees are going up four to four to six percent every year, because the cost of business is going up four to six percent every year, yet the, our our five year trend, the last five years, your your average wages have either remained static or gone up marginally. Maybe maybe if you're lucky, three percent. In most cases, it's been kind of a wash, where one can do the math and easily see that. This is not a sustainable proposition. So your average pet owner is not making any more money as time goes on. And by the way, that trend doesn't seem poised to change anytime soon. Our cost of business going up 4 to 6% every year does not seem to be poised to change anytime soon. So at some point, you're going to see this divergence of the average pet owner not being able to afford quality health care for their pets. And that is very troubling. It's very troubling because on the side of the on the part of the pet owner, that's your family member. That's your family member that when push comes to shove, their life is on the line. You may not be able to pay for it. Number two, on the side of the veterinarian, it's uber frustrating because you want to do everything you can for these animals. You want to practice the best medicine you can, but you know you can't do it for free. You know you can't cherry pick discounts because you can't discount for one person but then not for another. You know, there are people out there that will do everything in their absolute power to come up with the money to pay for something. Whether it's borrowing from a family member, you know, remortgaging their house, whatever it takes, they'll do it and they don't and you don't know about it as a veterinarian. You don't know where the money's coming from. They just come up with it, right? So why is it fair for that person who digs deep to do whatever they can to come up with money and then somebody else who complains about it and says, I just can't do it? Yet realistically, if they dug deep, maybe they could. It's not for us to judge, but we can't cherry pick. We can't say, well, listen, I'm going to help you out. But, you know, this person over here looks like they can afford it better. So we're going to charge them full price. It's just not right. It's not ethical. And I can understand why it would be upsetting to people to see that disparity. So we can't do that. We got to be fair across the board, no matter who it is. You never know. Somebody could pull up in an expensive car and you know, maybe they got that car when times were better, but right now they're bankrupt. They're bankrupt because something bad happened. You know, so some somebody, a, a major breadwinner in the family's health went south or, or their business suddenly failed. I mean, anything could happen. I've seen it happen to people that you would think they're very well off and realistically they're hurting just as bad as somebody who, you know, maybe living in a mobile home. You know, it's just one of those things that you just can't judge. You can't look at appearances and make those judgments. So as veterinarians, it's very troubling to us when people can't afford what needs to be done. We want to do everything we can, but we cannot go out of business in order to do that. So there's two solutions. 
to this critical mass that I see coming. And I want you to take heed and, and please spread the word on this because it's coming. I don't know when it's coming, but there, there's going to be a tipping point. And there is a, you know, a, a forced pet health savings account. And, you know, this is a nice solution if you're an uber-disciplined person and or family where a certain amount of household income is allocated uh, to the pet on a monthly basis that's uncompromising. Every month, no matter what, this much money is being allocated per pet in a quote-unquote health savings account. Uh, generally, $50 per month for the life of the pet is going to be adequate. That should cover your routine care plus other things that may come up. And you want to start that the minute you get that dog. Just like the moment you have a child, you want to start that 529 college savings or whatever it is that you do. Uh, some states have prepay, whatever. You want to do this with a pet if you're going to really realistically do that. Now, the drawback to this method is, and, and I actually did an article on this called the $50 rule. Um, the drawback to this approach is that even the most disciplined people, and I'm not saying this as a criticism, it, it's hard. I, I know what it's like to do life. I have children. <laughs> I know what it's like to do life. Um, it's hard to refuse the temptation to tap into those savings when the, the pets seem healthy and maybe a big unexpected expense comes around. Maybe your, your hot water heater exploded on you or you have you need a new roof all of a sudden for your home. Something that you absolutely have to pay for and the easiest way to do it is to tap into that savings. Well, I'll throw back into there. You know, I'll make up for it. And, and most of the time you never do. Or you come across an irresistible investment opportunity and that may pan out. And then again, it may not or it may not pan out in a timely period of time. Most investments don't. So realistically, y you often don't see that method work. <laughs> I would say if, if you really feel confident that you're that person that can do it, that that's your best solution. But the most realistic and reliable solution to the problem is quality pet insurance. Quality pet insurance um, is the best way to go. It's a wave of the future, and I'm you won't talk to a veterinarian that disagrees with me. Um, pet insurance, and, and not all pet insurance is created equal. you got to do your due diligence and do your research. Read reviews, right, because some of them pull the same shenanigans and garbage that the human insurance companies pull on us, trying to weasel, weasel their way out of uh, paying out claims. Unfortunately, one of the worst things that could have happened to the pet insurance industry is that a lot of them were bought up, unbeknownst to us, by human health insurance companies like Blue Cross Blue Shield, Aetna. Yes, that's actually happened. And so you want to find out who the parent company is behind that pet insurance company. You also want to read reviews, read reviews, read reviews. I'm One of the best things about the age on the internet is reviews. Um, yeah, I mean, some of them are just unrealistic and just malicious for no good reason. We see that occasionally, but for the most part, if you can read a lot of reviews, you can get a general idea of the general climate of a particular company. And I would strongly advise reading reviews. My wife, she lives her life by reviews. She's a big Amazon Prime lady. And uh, Amazon Prime uh, obviously comes with customer reviews. And that's how she bases a lot of our the purchases for the home, presents for the children and whatnot. And it's done us very well, I got to say. Now, there are good companies out there. So get feedback from your veterinarian as well. We kind of have an idea of who the good ones are and who the, who the bad ones are. Um, we don't get kickbacks. That's completely and highly illegal from pet insurance companies to make recommendations. It's just based on, you know, we want you to get paid back. We want you to get reimbursed in the most timely fashion because the, 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 
The more frequently you get paid back, the more in timely manner you get paid back, the more you're going to feel comfortable about moving forward with our treatment plans that we offer with cost estimates. You know, you so it, it behooves us to recommend good companies or ones that we feel are good companies. So talk to your veterinarian about it. Now, here's what's crazy. In Canada and Europe, it's estimated that about 60% of pet owners carry insurance for their pets. 60%. And so the result of that is the overall quality of veterinary medicine rivals that of the U.S. However, when I say rivals that of the U.S., it rivals that of the U.S. in terms of the technological advances and the treatments and diagnostics that are available. But the overall veterinary care is better per pet. Not because the veterinarians are better, because those veterinarians are more commonly able to do what they need to do because cost is not a barrier. Because 60% of the pet owners have pet insurance. And so the overall quality of life for pets in terms of longevity, health maintenance, wellness, way better in Europe and Canada than it is here. And the other thing is the overall quality of the profession of veterinary medicine is better for the veterinarians because they are more frequently able to perform the level of medicine that they're capable of that they wish to enact for that pet to do the very best they can do. Cost doesn't get in the way. Pet owners are less frustrated with the cost of veterinary medicine because it's affordable. Their their insurance company covers it. So it works for everybody. Pets benefit because they get the best health care. People, pet, pet owners benefit because they can afford the best vet care and they have no regrets. They don't have to feel guilty about skimping. Veterinarians are happier because they can practice the level of medicine they know they can practice and not just go with the plan B, C, and D that is not even remotely the plan A. Now, in sharp contrast, let's look at the United States. 3% of pet owners carry pet insurance. 3%. And God, we're trying so hard as an industry to change that paradigm, but it's just not changing. I could sit there till I'm blue in the face. And, you know, we have this one company called True Panion that offers, they even offer a 30-day free trial for uh, dogs under five years old, cats under five years old, puppies and kittens. 30-day free trial. If it's a puppy or kitten under one year of age, Anything happens to that puppy or kitten, if you sign up for the free trial, no strings attached, no credit card numbers, no nothing, they actually will reimburse 90%, 90% of the cost of whatever happens to that pet in that in those 30 days. And then if you sign up for the premium at the end of the 30 days, you lock that puppy and kitten rate for the life of the pet. No matter what happens in the life of that pet, it could even be an English bulldog that you know starts having health problems at like one year, one month of age, <laughs> sometimes sooner. Um, and if the, if the pet's not a puppy over a year of age or not a kitten over a year of age, but younger than five, they will cover 90% of the cost of anything that happens to it in that 30-day free trial um, minus a small deductible. I think the deductible is $250. So they get hit by a car and the whole treatment course is seven or $8,000. Well, they're going to cover 90% of that uh, minus a $250 deductible. That's crazy. And even then... Take the free trial. Sign up for it within 24 hours of this visit and your pet's covered for 30 days. I can't tell you how many times something has happened to those pets, whether they've, you know, 
got intoxicated by something poisonous or swallowed something that stuck in their gut, got hit by a car, like I just said, something bad. And I'll say to them, well, at least you got that, that free trial. No, I never did it. They won't even take the free trial. I just don't get it. So I think one of the barriers is that Canadians and Europeans have nationalized healthcare for themselves, right? So it's government-sponsored healthcare. They're not dealing with insurance companies denying their claims and nickel and diming the hell out of them like we're used to. So I think as a result, they have no experience with these private insurance companies. And so the idea of insurance for their pets doesn't have the same stigma stigma it may does for us. You know, the vast majority of us have at least at some point in our lives battled with insurance companies that, you know, you sit there and do your due diligence and pay your premium time and again for years. And the moment you need them, they're trying to weasel their way out of it or say, oh, well, we don't cover that. We don't cover this. If you look at the fine print on page 56, section B, subsection one, two, and three, you know, it's just awful. Um, what we've dealt with as, as in our own human healthcare industry that I think that is, is the biggest barrier for American pet owners. But please get past that because if you find the right company, you are not going to deal with that same level of poor ethics, um, downright criminal, you know, in some cases, some of the stuff that we've seen. You're not going to deal with that to the same level. Are there companies out there that will act that way? Yes, the ones that are owned by human insurance companies, you can guarantee it. So like I said, read reviews, Find out who the parent company is behind them. Um, I mentioned Trupanion. Love Trupanion. Trupanion is actually not an American company. They're Canadian, so they're never getting... Well, I'm not, I never say never, but they don't seem for the foreseeable future to be bought up by a human health insurance company um, looking to uh, you know, capitalize on a whole other industry that they can victimize. So you know, it's um, really important, really important very soon to uh, get pet insurance. Or if you have the discipline, do the $50 rule. Either way, prepare for what's to come because at some point we're going to reach this impasse. So that is my wrap-up episode for the year 2015. Again, I want to thank you all for listening. I'll be coming back in 2016. Very excited and very happy to give you my opinions, to offer anecdotes, stories, whether they're news stories, stuff that I've experienced in practice, whatever it may be, whatever's on my mind, you know, I'm never shy to come talk to you about it. Thanks again. I hope you have a wonderful new year, a safe new year, and abundance to come. Thanks again, everybody. Have a great night. Taking charge of your future starts with taking the first steps. And saving up to $30 a month on Cox Internet with the Affordable Connectivity Program makes those steps easy to take. Whether they bring you to click upload on your first short film or join now for an online book club. Applying is easy. See if you qualify at cox.com slash ACP. Non-transferable one per household application and eligibility decisions are made by the FCC. We made USAA insurance for veterans like James. When he found out how much USAA was helping members save, he said, It's time to switch. We'll help you find the right coverage at the right price. USAA. What you're made of, we're made for. Restrictions apply.